the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Yes, that's not Seth's voice you're hearing. It's Hugh Holman, joined by Lewis Holman. Hello, hello. We are uh, speaking to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. And we are thrilled that Seth would trust us yet again with his microphone, his studio, and his audience. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we invite you to call in because we are here live. This is not one of those segments that might be recorded. Instead, we're going to give it a shot to try to do this live and bring you some interesting insights that we hope will be sufficiently controversial that you'll call in and beat us asunder for having dared raise these kinds of issues. But we're going to start with Seth's monologue from the first hour, where he properly rings the alarm bell uh, with respect to the director of the FBI's statement made yesterday uh, before the House Select Committee regarding the threat posed by China. We have the, uh, the People's Republic of China spending significant time and resources uh, preparing the cyber attacks on U.S. infrastructure and cyber security, not just because they find it fun and interesting, but because it is a society of folks who are preparing for war constantly and continuously, being prepared to take on the United States if and when it becomes in their interest. Why would they do that? Well, we... We listened to Xi Jinping reiterate the Chinese position that Taiwan is part of the the uh, People's Republic of China, and it is a one uh, nation concept that even the United States has stamped with the imprimatur that that is, in fact, it is a one China policy that uh, President uh, Biden has articulated yet again in anticipation that at some point in the long distant future, perhaps Taiwan will once again be under the uh, direct boot of the Chinese operatives in Beijing, uh, and uh, perhaps they'll successfully kill the golden, golden goose. But Lewis and I are here to provide a bit of an uh, a bit of another perspective let's say a different perspective on the real threat that is China with respect to their operations to make sure that at their uh, moment of striking Taiwan perhaps that they can shut down US infrastructure to keep us all busy worrying about the fact that our refrigerator is not working our air conditioner is not working we can't use our computer and internet and our phone systems aren't working. So, Lewis, I'm going to flip it over to you to provide some balance for the fear-mongering that the director uh, engaged in, and maybe you can first articulate why you think he engaged in it in the first instance. So, why don't I, I start by unequivocally stating that I, I do see China as the United States' greatest geopolitical rival over the next century. Or as so. do I. Yep. So, that said, now now that we agree that that China is in fact a threat and it is one that needs to be taken seriously, there is a a strain of thought, uh, a, a constant message that has been repeated since really around two thousand five, two thousand six, since cyber attacks really started to become in vogue, and it's this this constant fear mongering notion that uh, 
uh, our rivals and our adversaries are constantly hunting at our civilian infrastructure and looking to shut down our power grids and blow up our dams and blow up bridges and do all of these things somehow with with cyber attacks. And, well, and, true. And and all of the, the some of these concerns are in fact they are legitimate. Um, there are infrastructural weaknesses and they can be probed by cyber. But whenever this these issues are discussed. They're very one-sided. They only talk about Iran or North Korea or Russian cyber attacks. And, and China. And Chinese. And, and the coverage here is very one-sided. You never hear a lot about the United States side of the fence. because it, you know, and, and the impression you would get listening to the, the hysterical caterwauling on this subject is that we don't know what we're doing when it comes to cyber and that we're woefully undefended and, and that, that we're, we're totally unguarded here. Let, let and, me and, give a quote real quick so you can understand what the director was saying and position uh, the caterwauling, as you were saying. And I'm quoting from the director's statement to, the, to Congress, quote, China's hackers are positioning on American infrastructure in preparation to wreak havoc and cause real world harm to American citizens and communities. If or when China decides the time has come to strike, they're not focused solely on political or military targets. We can see from where they position themselves across civilian infrastructure that low blows aren't just a possibility in the event of a conflict. Low blows against civilians are part of China's plan, period, unquote. So th- this notion of, of attacks against infrastructure has a long, long history and goes back to uh, uh, – it really it predates the Second World War, although you, you, you see the, the – uh, targeting civilian infrastructure is a major strategic point in that conflict and then in virtually every conflict thereafter. Um, one of the reasons that the Chinese are are going after civilian infrastructure is because they can't get at the military stuff that easily. Those targets are hardened. Second, uh, as I was saying, you, you never hear about the U.S. side of this. And, and the picture is always painted that we're drastically behind our foreign competitors, despite the fact that our economy is better. All of the major tech companies in the world are located in the U.S. And so let's paint some of this missing picture. U.S. cyber policy, when it, when it comes to defense, uh, is, is actually not like the Chinese or the Iraqi or, or, or sorry, the Iranian or the, uh, the Russian uh, cyber warfare. We are constantly penetrating and attacking our enemies and adversaries' systems, civilian and military. However, we are not in the business of engaging in the kind of attacks that make headlines in the way that, that China or Russia might be. Instead, we log and store credentials. And we've been doing this for the past two decades, such that when it is time to actually go to war and engage in a kinetic uh, uh, exchange with an adversary, all of those passwords, all of those 20 years of work, all of those get used at once and their entire economy is crippled. So that is how we fight cyber. We don't give away our hand early. And we are in a much, much secure, more secure position than is commonly thought or projected. To, to put it into layman's terms, so our, our side is probing their side constantly and continuously. But because under our laws, we are not currently at war, we are not allowed to, under our own laws, to disable or attack their infrastructure. While we find out and we get uh, hostage notes and all kinds of other options uh, thrown at us uh, with disabling activity, uh, the U.S. does not engage in that. But it does engage in testing those systems. And so when Lewis said they are uh, 
archiving those credentials. He means the keys to open the doors. And so that we are now working with the U.S. is working with the efforts to probe and figure out where the doors are, what the combinations locks are, save those passwords and be prepared at any given moment to open the doors when and as necessary. So we are not sitting here un- ill prepared. In fact, our cybersecurity efforts are significant to the point that my my earlier request was. Why was the FBI's director sitting before Congress? Well, guess what? There are budget hearings going on, and the FBI, having politicized itself with all kinds of misdeeds uh, in in a political activity that we can we need not go into uh, uh, ad nauseum here because most of you already know that better than I do. You've got the FBI sitting before Congress trying to plead the case that China is wreaking havoc on our infrastructure and we need to give the FBI enough money to continue to do the job it was supposed to do. That's what that real uh, message was. And in fact, let me uh, let me give you a, a quote. This is again from the opening statement, the statement about what China's threat is, but then the fundamentally the punchline for the joke, and that is, quote, The PRC has a bigger hacking program than every other major nation combined. In fact, if each one of the FBI's cyber agents and intelligence analysts focus exclusively on the China threat, China's hackers would still outnumber FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1, period, unquote. Now, of course, he's alluding to or attempting to lead you to the conclusion that all of China's hackers are focused only on the U.S. and on no one else. It's a good thing that the FBI is not the sole line of defense for uh, a foreign espionage and Chinese hackers. Consider the NSA, consider the CIA, consider every other alphabet soup intelligence agency that we have available. It is not the FBI versus the entirety of all Chinese hackers. That said, here is the punchline, quote, So as we sit here while important budget discussions are underway, dot, 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 unquote, this was a presentation to assure that the FBI is receiving the budgeted funds that it's seeking to receive from Congress, even after it's created uh, hostilities with Republicans by doing things that are, and Seth mentioned this in his last hour, uh, that are identified in the weaponization of disinformation pseudo-experts and bureaucrats, how the federal government partnered with universities to censor Americans' political speech. That is the title of the report, the Interim Staff Report of the Committee of the Judiciary and the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government at the House of Representatives, published on November 6, 2023. This report details some of those misdeeds and, in fact, cites to the agency's that the FBI is relying on. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Seth, uh, joined by Lewis Hallman on the Seth Liebson Show here at KKNT 960. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You may have noticed that Seth Liebson's voice is not emanating from your speakers. That's because we are here hosting in his absence. It is my father, Hugh Hallman, and myself, Lewis Hallman, coming to you live from 960 KNT. KKNT 960, the Patriot. There we got it. Sorry about that, folks. Please join the conversation at 602-508-0960. So we were talking in the first segment about the fact that uh, we've got uh, the FBI director ringing the alarm bell over the, uh, the challenges with China and their efforts to attack our infrastructure through cyber 
And uh, Lewis and I were just getting on to the point about where China really is with respect to this effort and how the U.S. is handling it. So, Lewis? Right. So so we were talking about the, the notion that the Chinese cyber is much more exploratory, much more aggressive than, than the U.S. is because of U.S. government policy, that we don't uh, sort of give away our hand early. The U.S. Uh, U.S. cyber is constantly looking, gathering credentials, and exploring our enemy's systems. Uh, but one of the one of the consequences of the constant exploratory attacking of Chinese and Russian, uh, and Iranian and Korean uh, cyber is that it allows the subject of those attacks, namely us and our allies, to observe, monitor, and tailor our responses to the evolution of their offense. However, because we don't actively go through and overturn the apple cart in their systems, we instead generally are passively gathering intelligence and stockpiling that intelligence. Uh, Our adversaries are not able to uh, uh, gather the same kinds of information about our methods that we are able to gather on there. So there is an asymmetric uh, uh, sort of short of war battleground being waged on servers and systems uh, continually worldwide. In addition, you've got a China that is mounting these efforts that has a system in its government poised to assure that whatever they develop cannot be mounted or executed very successfully. And I think Lewis can give you some examples of that. Certainly. So Xi Jinping right now has consolidated more power unto himself than the ancient Chinese emperors of old, he is more central. His, his authority is more centralized than Augustus or Nero's or Stalin's. Uh, he has uh, shot the messenger so many times that he is now functionally unable to get reliable information out of his own government. Uh, if you want to see an example of this, uh, Xi Jinping uh, uh, only learned about a series of rolling brown and blackouts affecting the capital city of Beijing that had been going on for nine months when. Uh, uh, Joe Biden told him about it. Yeah. So shock and surprise for uh, poor President Xi Jinping was the fact that the U.S. understood the challenges he was facing when he didn't even know he had them. Right. He's also gone forward and his uh, his society is now pushing the edges of the envelope in uh, tamping down any kind of protest or contrary statements. Now, this is not unusual for organizations uh, or governments like this. We've got our good friend Vladimir Putin engaging in the same kinds of activities in his own country. So you now have, while uh, we are worried about um, uh, three fronts, really, we've got Iran mucking around in the Middle East, assisting Hamas and Hezbollah and others to make life miserable for Israel, uh, make sure that Israel and uh, Saudi Arabia don't come to terms and create another step toward a peace process. You've got uh, China, of course, threatening Taiwan and uh, raising the issue of being able to attack the U.S. from the inside uh, to keep us busy while they undertake Taiwan. And then you've got Russia in Ukraine. The society that Vladimir Putin is running, similar to China, does this all sound familiar, similar to Iran, is one in which he's trying to keep uh, all of his enemies at bay. Let me give you a nice quote from dear old Vlad uh, not all that long ago. Quote, historic Russia has risen up. All the scum that's always present in any society is being slowly, slowly washed away, period, unquote. He is locking down. 
uh, his society to assure that he can retain ultimate power. And he is now engaged around the globe seeking to cause challenges with anyone outside his borders that's raising questions about what's going on inside his borders. He is taking on directly the threats caused by former Russian uh, citizens or those who have escaped Russia in its current condition and seeking to get other governments that are friendly to him to export those people back to Russia. In one particular high-profile case, it's a band called BI2. Uh, he is now trying to get them deported uh, back to Russia uh, from, I think it's Thailand. And uh, one of his great, uh, great friends, um, stated that, quote, this is a special operation. Their task is to grab someone big outside the country to show they can grab anyone anywhere. Uh, this goes on with uh, in response to the fact that B.I.'s lead singer stated that what's going on in Russia's Putin evokes only disgust and squeamishness. That was enough to put them on the target range, and so Vlad's after them. And one of uh, Vlad's great colleagues then stated uh, from the Duma, quote, soon they'll be playing and singing on spoons and metal plates, tap dancing in front of their cellmates, period, unquote. These are the societies we're dealing with, and what Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin and the leaders of Iran are seeking to do. So, now, now that you sort of set the table this way, I, I, I want to go back uh, and, and step back and talk about what uh, the, these these countries that we may have grouped uh, as our own sort of axis of evil in the in the present day, if I can steal a phrase, uh, because Ronald Reagan, while while they they represent uh, different threats, th- those threats are not the same, and the priorities that, that we should think about as we engage with these three adversaries, I, I, I think, bear some careful consideration and discussion. So maybe it would be valuable to talk about what the threat is to the United States from these three adversaries and then further to our allies abroad so that we can kind of develop the geostrategic picture a little further. Because we hear a lot from Washington uh, about China, Russia, Iran, China, Russia, Iran. And it's, it's never often explain fully what the threat is and what the strategic problems are that we're trying to wrestle with. And so I'd like to, uh, as, as we close this session and go into the next session, if, if we may, kind of unpack that a little bit. And so China is, as we said uh, a little bit earlier, is a prime existential threat to the United States um, in that it is uh, coming to us from a sort of Thucydides trap. Now, this comes from uh, Thucydides' uh, uh, history of the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta about 2,500 years ago. And it describes the challenge of a dominant power uh, in a system, right, the the sole power that they have to endure as another state, another entity gains strength enough to potentially challenge them. And this is sort of the arc that we're seeing as China's economy grows and grows and grows under the sort of era of globalization we've allowed in World War II to enable it to sort of grow towards a, a peer competitor. When we come back, however, uh, I want to turn our attention to Russia and Iran a little bit more and flesh out 
why those nations are dangerous and what specific interests they threaten so that we can think again more sensibly about this global picture. So he's Lewis Hallman. I'm Hugh Hallman. We want to thank Seth Liebson for allowing us to appear on his airwaves uh, from his studio to his audience. We're grateful for the opportunity, and we do invite you to call in at 602 602- Five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'd love to have the conversation with you as well. Uh, so we'll be right back in about uh, a few minutes. Uh, it's tough to beat that kind of uh, strains on a guitar. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman here on the Seth Liebson Show on KKNT 960 The Patriot. We are uh, continuing our diatribes uh, about uh, the... Director of the FBI's statements to Congress yesterday uh, decrying the uh, fact that the Chinese are preparing to attack us in any way, shape, and form they can through cybersecurity to shut down our infrastructure, make our lives very difficult. So while we're uh, worrying about uh, keeping the kids fed and getting to talk on our cell phones, they can uh, unilaterally invade uh, Taiwan without concern. Lewis and I are just raising the fact that the U.S. is much better prepared than some might like us to believe uh, when they're seeking the uh, passing the plate around at Congress trying to make sure that the FBI's coffers are filled. And I just wanted to note that it's uh, one of the things that the director uh, called out in his statement to Congress are the agencies that the U.S. has working uh, to uh, in partnership to protect the United States. And this is a quote, quote, we are working in partnership with the private sector, our allies abroad and all levers, levels of the U.S. government, especially the NSA, that's the National Security Agency, the Cyber Command and CISA, which is the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, as well as the ONCD, the Office of National Cyber Director, whose leaders I'm honored to be with here today, period, unquote. Now, what's interesting is that the director would call out agencies like the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, otherwise known as CISA, which happens to be the featured agency in the weapon is in the report called the weaponization of disinformation pseudo experts and bureaucrats how the federal government partnered with universities to censor americans political speech unquote that was published on november 6 2023 by the interim staff of the committee of the judiciary and the select committee on the weaponization of the federal government That was done because of the great continuous denial by Democrats that there were any efforts by the federal government in the 2016 election cycle and otherwise to interfere with our elections by silencing critics of the Democrats. So now the FBI has got to uh, come before Congress with hat in hand begging for resources and in, in that context, we are launching on what's going on with China. So, Lewis, pick it up from there. Okay. So, so we had talked about uh, over the last hour this notion of China as an emerging rival for the U.S. since the end of the Second World, uh, World War. There is a sort of a Thucydides trap scenario occurring where uh, uh, China as a rising power is threatening our strategic position in the world. Now – I'd like to go ahead and unpack a little bit, do a little bit of a comparison between China and the U.S. vis-a-vis their ability to be a global player. First of all, uh, reserve currency status. The Chinese yuan makes up about 5% of global trade. The U.S. dollar makes up about 70% of global trade and is not really going to move from that position anytime soon. China shares land borders with 21 other countries. I believe that is the most in the world, uh, as well as uh, having considerable coastline on 
uh, uh, its uh, east side. The U.S., on the other hand, has ocean moats extending for thousands of miles and shares border with two allies. Those 21 neighbors of China, all of them hate China. Our neighbors are our largest trading partners. We have uh, an ocean navy that is built on the back of carrier battle groups. China has a, an ocean navy, which again, with the, the breathless caterwauling of the press, uh, uh, you may note, has more vessels on paper than ours does. However, 90% of those vessels are in fact uh, uh, coastal vessels that can't travel more than 600 miles from port under combat conditions. So these don't really keep me up at night. The last time that the Chinese military successfully engaged in any kind of expeditionary warfare was in 1979 in Vietnam, and they lost. The U.S., by contrast, has been at war all but, I believe, six years since 1776. So this is a contest between the most battle-hardened, experienced, technically sophisticated military in the world and one that is currently led by uh, someone who is not receiving concrete information from his own people and who is now uh, treating his generals to the same kind of show that Joseph Stalin brought out in 1939. And so... Uh, uh, to even be successful in an attack on Taiwan, they would have to not drive the thirty mile, uh, the three hundred miles to Kiev. They would have to do this over the straits. This is going to be a problem. Uh, it's not even javelins on tanks. It's it's shooting fish in a barrel at that point. And so, while China is threatening, while China is large, they are not an existential threat. Stay with us. I want to come back and I want to cover the much much more minor and mosquito like presences of Iran. Iraq and uh, uh, Russia as we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. I'm Hugh Holman joined by Lewis Holman. We were engaged in discussing China and about to pivot to, uh, as Lewis calls them, the uh, mosquitoes of Iran and Russia. Uh, but before we do, since we just finished a big chunk on China, we've got Barbara from Phoenix who wants to talk about the danger of immigrants. Barbara, you're on the air. Yes. Um, our infrastructure, you've given us a lot of in, uh, assurance that we're fine. But because of the millions that have come across the border and threatened us, we don't know who they are, uh, China doesn't have to wreck anything else. They've already sent their soldiers over here. <laughs> so is that a danger? Or are we supposed to have peace of mind that we're good in every other area? So that, that's a really good question. And, and it's definitely one that a, a lot of people think about and worry about. And it, it's one that has a lot of historical precedent as well. Right. Um, 9-11 was caused by people who were here in the country. Right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know we, we can look further back, though, to... to uh, military conflict with powers in East Asia. We can look at, at the World War II issue of, of Japanese internment, for instance. Uh, uh, you know, the the big fear back then in, in the, uh, the 40s was that because there was a large Japanese population on the West Coast, that they would be able to uh, uh, bring in saboteurs or otherwise cause damage and infrastructural uh, issues. And so uh, we, with an act of Congress, in, in, interned uh, uh, tens and hundreds of thousands of, of Japanese American citizens and um, ultimately, uh, fruitlessly, uh, because very little sabotage uh, really happened. And in fact, the, the power of our ocean moats made it 
really quite infeasible as a strategic matter for the Japanese to be able to attack us. But, Barbara, I think it's a, it's a legitimate point that uh, one can certainly contrast what happened to Japanese Americans. These were American citizens who were having their constitutional rights violated by their own government uh, in, uh, out of concern that somehow because of their Japanese ancestry, they would then become saboteurs themselves or cis saboteurs. You're really raising the point that we have a whole host of immigrants who have made their way into the United States. States, uh, not through the legal system, but through illegally crossing the border, but being allowed to do so. We're going to talk about that uh, at some length uh, in the next hour uh, and have some things that I think you'd like to uh, hear about that in terms of should we rest assured that the U.S. government has everything under control? No, we're not saying that the the FBI director's obligation and proper raising of this alarm bell isn't correct. We are merely putting on to it the gloss of the fact that we have a whole host of reasons why you've got the FBI director raising this alarm bell now. He needs money, and the FBI has spent the last several years undermining its own credibility. That they now are focusing on issues that they should be focused on is vitally important. But we also don't want them to overstate the problem because, as Lewis has been pointing out, we actually have significant efforts of our own to assure that we are protected. It is ironic, however, to me that he happens to cite to CISA as the agency on which we should put all of our uh, hope and uh, and belief in protection when CISA was involved in stopping the open communication by Republicans in a prior election cycle. So the other, the other piece I'd like to bring up here is that while uh, illegal immigration is not a, a military threat, strictly speaking, there are many, many, many other issues it does cause, and we should think about it including in that, in that capacity. Threats, including the, the, military the, the, threats. To be fair, I, I would say that the military issue is not primarily the one I'm, I'm concerned about. I would, I would say more uh, uh, the economic issues, uh, job loss, and then the flow of uh, illegal drugs would be the, the the larger ones that concern me more than, for instance, the the propensity of illegal immigrants to funnel militarily relevant information to the Chinese state. Oh, sure. But I think she's talking about more specifically, as happened uh, uh, on 9-11, sure. that we have people who are now within the country who are capable of attacking infrastructure. And that is a physical problem that we actually face. Your point earlier in the show was uh, cyber attacks have a limited effect on infrastructure that you really really need to, you didn't quite say it this way, but need to blow up some of the things that you want to disable for a very long period of time. And the only way you do that is by having agents on the ground. And one great way that our enemies can do that is when we have a southern border that's completely unpoliced at this stage, where one presents oneself at the border, receives a citation uh, to appear in court sometime in the next three or four or five years, and then you're off to the races. Because anybody who's actually here to do ill is not going to show up in their immigration court, they're going to go about doing what they've been sent here to do. That's Barbara's point. Or, or they might just do ill expediently in the next three to five years before yeah. the court date. Fair enough. And uh, for Seth and for me, I think, and maybe for Lewis, one of the greatest threats we have from the significant flow of immigrants into the country is that we are not doing a good job educating them on the values that are the bases for this society. The 
prior immigration cycles went through fits and starts, but was focused on the fact that there are philosophical underpinnings that are important to these United States that are shared values. And if we don't inculcate those values into the generation of immigrants coming here, despite the fact that they were coming here for a specific reason, the freedom and opportunity that the U.S. presents, if you do not then provide a basis for the understanding of that, it can be lost. I, I used to. I remember kind of a, an old trope or joke that, that used to be the case that that uh, new citizens who, who had immigrated into the country tended to know civics more than than did foreign born people because the the, the immigration na- na- native born people. Thank you. Yes, um, because they, they had to you know study and then pass the the, the civics exams in order to get. Uh, 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 their citizenship. And in doing so, they were exposed to and had to think about why this country is the way that it is and why the Constitution works the way that it does and why our government works the way that it does. And and it is from this understanding that that you come to appreciate the function and and the purpose of our, our civic institutions and uh, of our civil society. But when we start to lose that 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 common notion, when we start to fractionate and turn on one another, that is when the problems arise. And that is how we spend uh, the last decade effectively in strategic paralysis. In, in fact, I think there's an important distinction between the legal immigration system in which somebody has inserted themselves into the country legally and then seeks to gain citizenship by undertaking the classes that one needs to undertake in order to study for the exam that one needs to take to get one citizenship. The illegal immigration system comes with none of that. Right. And once somebody's in the United States and able to take advantage of what we have here without any obligation to participate in those very functions, we never get to the point of getting those values built. And uh, I think Seth ably concluded his uh, monologue, noting that, uh, in part, we have to... Uh, deal with these threats. He quoted uh, Will Durant in his notion that, quote, the two greatest problems in history are how to account for the rise of Rome and how to account for its fail. The point really is that a great civilization is not conquered from without. It is conquered from within. These were ideas that Abraham Lincoln wanted to make sure we understood as early as his, I think he was 27 or 28 in his speech to the Lyceum. When we come back, we're going to pick up uh, on our little closing and then try to invite you to join us in the next hour when we're going to hit immigration and a variety of other pieces of uh, what's going on on our universe. I'm Hugh Holman, joined by Lewis Holman. We're on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Thank you, Seth Liebson, for allowing us to use your studio and fill your airwaves and say hello to your audience. That, of course, is one of Seth Liebson's favorite trumpet uh, uh, pieces. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman. We're here on the Seth Liebson Show, and I'm going to turn it over to Lewis to sort of close us out on this first hour. Go big, Lou. Absolutely. So first of all, I will say that modern music is desperately short on a good horn section. But we've been talking about a lot today. We've been talking about cybersecurity and China and immigration and its effect on the U.S. and, and We've been spinning around looking at the world as a whole, and I want to I talk about that for a moment. Uh, you know, we often hear talk about globalists in this country as if they're this, this evil, mysterious force that are, that are 
uh, uh, carefully manipulating public policy behind the scenes. And and I'd really like to unpack that term a little bit, uh, figuring out what it is we, we're talking about when we say that we oppose globalists. Well, a globalist to me is someone who is interested in ceding national authority to a supranational or an international uh, uh, organization. This would be those who would give up the American ability to determine our own sovereignty and strategic posture in the world and would prefer to do so more collaboratively in the UN or in an organization that looks like the EU, something like that. This would be opposed to someone who is a nationalist, uh, uh, particularly a civic nationalist, which I am proud to say that I am. I care about the civic institutions of the U.S., the cultural identity that we have here, and why we do what we do. There are, there's another axis here, right? So we have this notion of who gets to determine what the United States is focused on. Is it the U.S. by itself, or is it the U.S. in concert with the world? That would be sort of our, our uh, uh, nationalist versus globalist. Kind of the Republicans versus the Democratic view of the world. A little bit. And so... The other piece, then, is one that I think is less well-defined and kind of fits into both parties a bit. And this spectrum is whether you are an isolationist or someone who is interested in dealing with the world and, and working with the world. That would be sort of an internationalist, someone who wants international cooperation, collaboration, uh, high levels of engagement and trade and activity versus someone who is more uh, interested in isolation and economic autarky. Keeping in mind that... And I, an internationalist, which I would count myself among, is somebody who can be a nationalist, which I believe I am, who looks at all of these issues from the perspective of the United States. How does our engagement with the world impact and make better the, li- the, the lives of people in the United States? And those decisions need to be made from a U.S. perspective. Exactly. So we would describe ourselves as nationalist internationalists, those that care about U.S. sovereignty and control but want a high degree of engagement and a proactive reach strategically out into the world. To assure that we protect the interests of the United States and its citizenry. We don't need to engage in international activity without keeping that first and foremost in mind. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We've been grateful to be on the Seth Liebson Show for this hour. We hope you'll join us in the next hour. We're, we're going to pick some of this up and talk about how President Trump was right and excoriated for it. We look forward to uh, having you join the conversation here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. We'll be back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.